Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We started this series last week called Through the Valley, and we talked about one the sources of, of stress for us. This is, you know, there's a lot of stresses in our life, and one of the stresses that we talked about last week was the stress of worry. I got all kinds of feedback. I got tons of emails and text messages and um, just, it's a big deal for us. I knew, I told you going in, we're going to talk to all of us. And, and I knew that that would be the case and certainly got a lot of feedback just saying, hey, that was helpful for me or I hadn't thought about it like that. I think all these we're going to talk about over the next several weeks are, are going to really speak to us. There are things that we just, they, we run into these in everyday life. It just, it's, it's, it's just what life is for us. And these are the things that we fight against. And like I said last week, I'm going to do uh, you know, two or three of these, then we'll take a little break for Christmas, and then I'll come back after the first of the year and finish this series called Through the Valley. Today, I want to talk about busyness. Busyness. And I'm just going to say, I saw that. Okay, I saw what you just did. I saw the eye roll. Um, Brett, I've heard this sermon already. I've already heard other preachers talk about busyness. I don't want to hear a sermon on busyness. You know, I'm sure that you've heard sermons on busyness, and I'm sure you don't want to hear another, but here's the thing. We're not listening. We're not listening to the sermons that we hear on busyness. Hopefully, you will listen to this one this morning. Christmas is coming. One thing I know about Christmas is I can ask you, you know, what do you, what, what do you think about the holiday of Christmas? You might talk about trees and lights. You might talk about being with family. You might talk about gift exchange. There's a lot of things you would talk about. One of the words I'm going to hear when I bring up the word Christmas to you I'm going to hear the word busy come out of your mouth somewhere. It's just so busy. You know, it's so hectic, so much stuff going on. Today, I want to look at the prescription for people under pressure. Does that sound like you? Are you a people under pressure? Are you an expert? I had an old man at Johnson Bible College one time. I I referred to myself as an expert in something. He said, oh, you don't want to be an expert. He said, do you know what an expert is? I said, no. He said, X is an unknown Spurt is a drip under pressure. So if you're an expert, you're an unknown drip under pressure. So we don't want to be that, but we are, a lot of us, under pressure. And so to get started this morning, I just want, to, I want us to take a little quiz, okay? Let's take a little quiz. I'm not asking you to raise your hand on any of these things. Just point to the person that you think this applies to in the room. No, don't do that either because it will just get us in all kinds of trouble. But let's just take this quiz together. Just, just an internal thing. You don't have to answer these out loud. Our, number one, are you always in a hurry? Number two, is your to-do list unrealistically long? Number three, do you use days off to catch up on unfinished work? Number four, has more than one person ever told you that you need to slow down? Number five, this is going to get a lot of you. Do you feel guilty when you relax? Number six, do you have to get sick to take time off? Let's shift gears. Let's talk about whether or not you're an al- uh, not an alcoholic, a workaholic. <laughs> you, you, I, may, I may drive you to be an alcoholic by the end of this. I don't know. Workaholic, 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 workaholic workaholic I hate when it does that you know you're a workaholic when all your Christmas cards come from your business associates 
You know you're a workaholic when you head out to back to school night and you don't know which school your kids actually attend. You know you're a workaholic when you're checking work emails and sending text messages during the sermon. No, Brett, I'm just following along on my Bible app. No, you're not. You're sending text messages. You know you're a workaholic when your family refers to you as occupant. You know you're a workaholic when you can unwind at the end of a long, busy day by watching Jimmy Fallon. And the point there is that you're up late. It's really late. Number six, you know you're a workaholic when you take business-related material into the bathroom with you. If you're doing that, you may be a workaholic. Now, this is, the kind of li- this is not the kind of life that God wants you to live. It doesn't want you referring to yourself as a workaholic or an alcoholic, but none of those are good. He does not want you to be, be, consider yourself a workaholic. He doesn't want you to, you know, just, when you get asked the question, how are you, the typical answer we ask is, I'm busy. That's not the answer God wants coming out of your mouth, okay? That's what we do. We speed up life. That's, that's what we do, and this message is kind of designed to combat that a little bit. Um, that's not the kind of life God wants you to live. It's not. This is the kind of life, this is what God says about it, Psalm 127. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you will starve to death. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. In other words, if you're burning the candle at both ends, you may not be as bright as you think you are. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go home and go to bed. Some of you today, the most spiritual thing you could do is go home and lay down and take a nap. Because you, some of you probably haven't taken a nap in ages, and everybody around you would say, would you please take a nap? For our sake, if for nobody else's. So what does God want us to do? See, some people think if I give my life to God, if I really sell out, if I, you know, if I do that, he's going to give me too much stuff to do. And then I'm going to have even more to do than I already have to do, and I can't do the stuff that's on my plate now. So let's look at Psalm 23. That's our passage that we've been kind of anchored in. Psalm 23, it says, verse 2, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Well, what in the world is he talking about? Well, if you were a sheep, you'd understand this, because this is the perfect picture of paradise for sheep. They would hear this and think, oh, that's, that's perfect. What he's talking about is rest and refreshment. Those are, those, you got two lines there, I think. Rest and refreshment. See, to a sheep, when you start talking about green pastures, you start talking about quiet waters, that is like sheep hear that and they go, man, it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, that's it for the sheep. They, that's where they want to be. If you don't get anything else I say today, here's the message in one sentence. God is interested in your rest and recreation. He's very interested in it. God wants you to live a whole, complete, balanced life. He does not want you to be working all the time. And if you really give your life to Jesus Christ, he is probably not going to add to your lifestyle. He's not going to load you up with more stuff. Probably what he's going to do is he's going to take some things from you and say, let me, let me have that. That's creating a stress and a pressure on you that you need not carry and you need not bear. He's not looking to add more to it. He's looking to take some stuff away from it because that's what he wants to do. He wants 
to make our life easier. I think people think Jesus is just out to stress us out. No. Jesus wants us to chill out. He wants to take some things from us to slow us down. America is a nation of workaholics. At least 134 countries have laws setting the maximum length of the work week. The United States does not have that. In the United States, 85.8% of males and around 66.5% of females work more than 40 hours a week. These statistics are coming from the Department of Labor. According to the International Labor Organization, Americans work 137 hours more per year than Japanese workers, 260 more hours per year than British workers, and 499 more hours per year than French workers. And here's what scares me about those statistics I just read for you. As I read those for you, we went into competition mode and we went, yeah, we outworked the Japanese, right? Yeah, we outwork the British. We work hard around here. We think that's a good thing. We think because we're industrious and we work longer and more hours, somehow that makes us worth more, that makes us better in some way. And this message is just geared to and designed to get you to think just the opposite. We should hear that and go, oh my goodness. Using data by the United States Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average productivity per American worker has increased 400% since 1950. So today, let's talk about how to relax. R-E-L-A-X. I'm going to give you five things this morning. If I'm going to relax the way God wants me to relax and not be such a workaholic, if I'm going to be led beside green pastures and beside still waters, I have to recognize my worth. That's the R, recognize my worth. Why is that? Because most people who overwork mistake their work for their worth. We think if I work a lot, if I achieve a lot, then I'm worth a lot. We confuse what we do with who we are. In America, we get our primary identity from what we do. If I take, it's, this is especially true among men. If I, what, what we do, I can promise you, if I introduce two men... If I put them in a room together, they've never met each other, I tell them each other's names, I walk out of the room, I guarantee you, inside two minutes, they know what the other one does. Because that's a big deal to us. What do you do? Because what we, what we do and what we shouldn't, we do it, but we shouldn't, is we assign worth based on what you do. You meet somebody, you say, what do you do? Well, I'm a doctor. Oh, doctor. You, you're worth a lot. You know, like that's a, you must be worth a lot. But if, if, you know, the, the answer comes back, well, I work for a church, and I'm just picking that because that's what I do, and I don't want to offend you doing whatever it is that you do. I'm just using mine. Sometimes, you know, you might answer that way, and somebody goes, well, it's been nice to know you. I don't want, to, I don't want any more to do with you. Right? Like, that's not enough. That's, that's not impressive enough. That didn't, that didn't really ring the bell for me. And so we get our worth, we think, from our work. Now, that's not what God says about you. God says you have value regardless of what you do for a living. You see, many of us grew up with a little phrase in our mind that says, you're a nobody. Because somebody said that to us. Because maybe a mom or a dad said that to us. Or a coach, you'll never amount to anything. Or a teacher. God forbid that somebody in the church ever said something like that to you, but it's possible. You may have had a friend that said, you know, you're never going to amount to anything if you don't work any harder than you're working. 
And you've heard that phrase, you're never going to amount to much. And so what we did is we set out to show them that they were going to be wrong. We're not going to let them be right about that. And that's often why we work as hard as we do. I'll prove my worth by my accomplishments and by my achievements. And you never seem to be able to accomplish quite enough to, to feel satisfied and to lay that demon to rest once and for all. And we just hear that phrase over and over. You're never going to amount to much. And it's being driven by something that somebody said to us. Even years later, we can remember. You remember that saying? We used to hear it on the playground. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, that's not true. Names do hurt. In fact, the names oftentimes last longer than the sticks and stones bruises that we get. And oftentimes, many years later, here we are, and we're still, still hearing that voice that says, you better keep paddling, you better catch up, you better work harder. Somebody may get ahead of you. You have to prove your value and you have to prove your worth. You have to prove your significance by overworking. And you can never slow down. A good friend of mine in ministry was with him. This has been 15 years ago. We were talking about something. He looked at me and said, Brett, I haven't, he said, I haven't had a day off in 45 days. And he was bragging about it like that was a good thing. He said, I've not been home on an, on an evening in 45 days. I'm like, that's not good. You know, that's not something that you, if you're, if you're trying to pat yourself on the back, that's not, that's not, that doesn't impress me. What's the antidote? The antidote is to realize what God says about you. So what does God say? In James, God said this, God decided to give us life through the word of truth so that we might be the most important of all the things he made. God says you matter more than all the rest of creation and he says you can relax because you don't have to prove your worth because God made you. And God loves you and God cares about you. If you understand, if you feel how much you are worth to God, your life will change. Because at some point, you're going to run across somebody who doesn't like you. You're going to run across somebody who doesn't think you're worth all that. And when that day comes, you will be able to say, God likes me. I like me, and I don't really care whether or not you like me. That's your problem. Then you don't spend your whole life and your whole existence and your whole day trying to appease and please somebody else. It just is never going to work, and yet that's what we get caught up doing so often. You don't need the approval of other people to be happy, but you do need to realize how valuable you are to God. Matthew 6, Jesus said this, your heavenly Father feeds the sparrows, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. If God takes care of birds, certainly he's going to take care of you. I don't know that we're ever going to understand just exactly how much God loves us. On top of that, there's nothing that you can do in your life that will make God love you more than he already loves you. In fact, I used to say this to, to the kids in youth group when I was a youth pastor, and I've said this often in counseling. I, I, you'll hear me say this if you're around me much. Um, he, God cannot love you more. You want to know something God can't do? God can't love you more than he loves you. You want to know something God refuses to do? He refuses to love you less. God cannot love you more. He refuses to love you less. He loves you. God's love is not based on your performance. It's based on his unconditional love. It's based on who he is, not based on who you are. 
So you don't have to prove your worth to him by overworking. And God loves you. God says you're okay. I remember in junior high school, <laughs> a lot of foolishness went on in junior high school, didn't it? But one of the things, this girl, she liked this boy in my junior high school, and she wrote this boy's name on her hand she wanted everybody to know that she liked this boy and she wanted this boy to know that she liked him and so she walked around school with this boy's name on her hand I don't know what he thought about that probably not a lot but she really liked him and she wanted everybody else to know it listen to this verse from Isaiah God says I have engraved you on the palms of my hands Jesus went to a cross they stretched out his arms, they pinned his arms to a cross, and basically, in effect, Jesus said, I love you this much. I love you enough to lay down my life for you. If you spend much time around here, if you listen to me talk, even in casual conversation, if you hear me speak like this from a stage, you're going to realize that this is a pretty common theme for me. I say this all the time. I say it all the time because I have a hard time getting adults convinced that it's true, but God is crazy about you. He loves you. He thinks you're awesome. You don't have to do more to make him think you're awesome. You don't have to work harder to, to make God think that you're awesome. He made you. He put breath in you. He's animated your body. He thinks you're awesome just the way you are. You say, Brett, you don't know what I did last night. Don't care what you did last night. God thinks you're awesome. I mean, you might be in here plotting the end of the world. I hope that's not you, but you could be in here like, I'm going to take us all down. Listen, God loves you. He's crazy about you. I just, um, let's do it. Indulge me for a minute. Would you just close your eyes? I want to do a little exercise with you. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to hold your breath, but not yet because I've got to get this out. And it may, I don't want any of you passing out on me. But in a moment, I'm going to want you to pray this prayer. God, help me to feel just how much you love me. Help me to realize just how much you love me. Okay, so take a big, deep breath and hold it. Big, deep breath. Let it out. God, help me to know how much you love me. That's the R in relax. You've got to realize your worth. The E is enjoy what I already have. We always want more, don't we? Ecclesiastes says all of us should enjoy what we have worked for. It is God's gift. Are you so preoccupied with getting more that you don't appreciate what you've got? Have you ever found yourself in that camp? Can you be so busy in your desire to acquire more and more and more, that you don't stop and appreciate what's already in your driveway? Is it possible that you could have a, a beautiful home, but you're never there to appreciate it? Do you ever just sit in your house and go, man, this is awesome, God, thank you. When we work so hard, sometimes we're never home enough to appreciate what we've got there. Or we're scheming to try and figure out how to acquire that next thing. You know, that next thing. You've got one. You've got a next thing. I've got a next thing. We've all got it. Now, it may be so expensive that you're never going to have it, but if I asked you and really pressed you on it, and I guarantee you, some of you, this has been the conversation in your house. Babe, what would you like for Christmas? Oh, nothing. I'm content. 
But there's a thing. <laughs> right? There's a thing. You don't want to say it because it might be too expensive, or you may think it's immature, or you may think it's, I mean, for, for most men, it's something that's, you know, that a 10-year-old would want, but we really want one. We just don't want to look like 10-year-olds. But we, you know, make no mistake about it. When we're at Christmas and the kids have opened their gifts and there's a racetrack there, we secretly want to play with that, right? And we're like, I wish I got one of those for Christmas. Honey, what do you want for Christmas? Oh, nothing, I'm content. No, there's always a thing. And it, it may be so big that we think, oh, I can't say it out loud because, you know, I don't, I'll never have it. But there's a thing. I was sitting next to Didi last night. Last night, we were sitting watching the, a, a football game, and she was good enough to, you know, just enjoy the game. So I'm sitting there playing on my computer watching the game, and a car commercial came on. And I don't know what triggered me to do this, but I said, babe, would you like to see my, my dream car? Like, I'm sure she lays awake at night wondering what my dream car is, you know? I'm sure she can't go to sleep at night trying to figure out what that is. She, so she humored me, yeah, let me see it. So I brought it up for her. I mean, it's well beyond anything I would ever be able to afford. It's all so beautiful. I brought it up, you know, and showed her. I said, isn't that, isn't that pretty? Yeah, that's really nice. See, we've all got a thing. We've all got something that if, if we had enough money or, you know, if we had enough lack of pride or whatever it is that we would say yeah i want one of those that we would say it out loud we've all got that what's that saying we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like isn't that true we're, we're trying to keep up with people and impress people that we don't if you've really got pressed on it you say i don't care what they think about me but man we're striving we get the desire to acquire things, and then we go out and we buy it, and the next thing you know, we've got this payment, and we're working hard to make this payment, and then at some point, we look up and go, why am I working so hard? Oh, yeah, that. And before you know it, our relationships have begun to suffer because of the stress. That is not how God wants us to live. It's just not. Ecclesiastes says this, it is better to have only a little with peace of mind than be busy all the time. The greatest things in life aren't things, right? We know that. As a pastor, I have seen this. I've been in the room. I've been in the room when people were about to expire. It's one of the not fun parts of my job hard to describe that it's a it's a it's a sacred moment because you have trusted me and allowed me to be in there and just, you know you want me in there sometimes and and I've been in the room when somebody's getting ready to take their last breath and those are always you know they're hard moments they're but they're holy and I've been in the room when 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 people were getting ready to take their last breath and I've watched family gather around a bed or around, you know, just a chair or whatever and been in a hospital room where that was going on and machines and stuff and it's sad and it's 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 just I've never watched someone come to the end of their life and make the statement, I wish I had spent more time in the office. I've never heard it. I have heard people lament the fact that they hadn't spent enough time with their family. I have heard people 
regret the fact that they didn't slow down and they didn't connect the people that they needed to connect to. I have heard that. I have watched families gather around. And listen, as my parents get older, I'm seeing this too. I was just home, and, and when I'm home, I am trying to fully engage. I, my phone is out. I'm taking pictures. I was, the other day, my brother and my dad got talking back and forth, which is hilarious. If you've ever been able to hear that, it's hilarious because my brother did every possible thing he could to drive my dad nuts. And when they start talking about it, it's just so funny. And I hit, I hit record on my phone so I could capture that conversation. So one of these days when my dad isn't around, I'll still be able to hear his voice. Because that's important. And I'm trying to figure out now how to slow down. Like I'm three hours away from mom and dad. I'm trying to figure out how I can get there more. I want to get there more. But I've never watched somebody slipping away where they said, man, I just wish I'd spent more time in the office. No, that's not what they say. How about we enjoy who we have while we have them? How about we slow down? How about we maybe not work as hard? How about maybe we forego that thing that we want that's going to require a payment so that we don't have to spend every waking moment to pay for it so that we can enjoy the things that really, really matter to us? Let's worry a little less about getting more. Enjoy what you have. We come to letter L, limit my labor. What does that mean? Limit my labor. It means make a conscious decision to do other things with my time than just work. The other night, <clears throat> I, I have a, an office set up in the house. And the other night I was working, it was later in the night, and, and I was working at the computer there. I had stuff stretched out, and Dee Dee had come in. She changed out of her work clothes into her, into her comfort clothes, and she'd gone in to watch some television, and just unwind and she was in the other room and I was and I, and I knew I was going to preach this sermon and all of a sudden it hit me Brett turn off the computer put your work away get up go spend time with her you don't get to see her all day and now you're going to spend all night in here working are you stupid shut the computer down go to the next room so that's exactly what I did we have to decide how many hours we are realistically going to spend working each week, and then we need to stick to it. And we need to schedule time for ourselves, and we need to schedule time to be alone with God, and we need to schedule some time with our families. Those are important elements of life that go along with work. Now, I can hear some of you right now. I can hear it. Easy for you to say, Brett. I only wish that my situation was such that, that I could... I, ha I wish I had the luxury of limiting my work. Limit my work. That rolls off your tongue like it's easy. Right? You have no idea what I do. You have no idea what my life's like. I don't have the luxury of limiting my work. I only wish I was in a position where I could do that. Okay. I get that. I understand. For some of you, the ability to limit your work is not something that you're able to do. But, but when you say that to me, I would look back at you and say, that just means all the more that when you are not working, you've got to be very strategic about how you spend those hours and those minutes. You've got to be very careful who, who and what you're spending that time on. Because you're, if you're given that much time to work and you have no say in it, it just means all the more that you've got to be smarter about how you budget the time you spend. However, there are a lot of people that are hearing this that can do something about that. And I'm, I'm speaking mainly to two people at this point, 
I'm speaking to those of you who are self-employed. If you're self-employed, the, the, the tendency is to just never stop working. I know this because I've been self-employed. I've had my own business. I know what it is to have my name on the door. I know what it is to have customers that depend on me. I know what it is to want them pleased. And it drives you to stay up. I've stayed up all hours of the night. I've pulled all-nighters like I did when I was in college, and I was way too old to be trying to do that stuff. Because it mattered, because my name was on the door, and I wanted those people to be impressed with my business. I get it. I understand. What, what we say is, I've got to make this business work. It's all, it's all resting on me. And so we, we stay up way too late. We bring work home with us. We never take time off. We never take breaks. We don't ever take vacation. Because you don't have a 9-to-5 job, and you don't have the luxury of doing that, and you keep work with you all the time. If you're self-employed, it is easy to fall into this. I have a good friend that walked out. He said, Brett, you nailed me today. Yes, I did. I told him, I said, I thought about you while I was getting ready for this. Because he works all the time. He never takes time off. The other group of you who really need this are those of you who are single parents. And just let me say right off the bat, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how some of you work like you do and manage a family by yourself and put bread on the table and take care of all the things that are going on in your world. My hat is off to you. I honor you. I, I don't know how you do it. But you of all people have got to learn how to set some parameters and say, I need some time off. I have got to get some rest. Because your best requires rest. Now I'm going to tell you a story here. This is an old preacher story, okay? You've probably heard this, but it's just the perfect place to tell this story. And if, if the reaction from first service was any indication, some of them had not heard it, so I'll share it with you. It's one of my favorite stories when it comes to Sabbath and rest. There was a young man who went out to the Pacific Northwest. He wanted to be a, a lumberjack. And so he, you know, was a go-getter. He was going to be the best lumberjack he could be. He shows up. They, you know, they take him out to the forest where he's going to cut trees. He's got his saw there. There's an old man across the way, and that old man is just sawing like crazy. Well, the young buck sees that, and he's thinking, I'm going to outcut that old man. And so he starts in on that first day cutting trees. By the end of the day, he starts to compare his pile to the pile of the old man, and it's not even close. And he can't figure it out. He's bigger. He's stronger. He worked hard. He's, he's, that was the, you know, I'm going to beat that old man. He shows up the next day, I'm going to work harder. He works all day cutting wood. Wednesday shows up, he cuts wood through his lunch hour, through his breaks, trying to catch the old man. Meanwhile, the old man just steady pace, just cutting wood. At the end of the day, his pile's always bigger than the younger man. By the end of the week, this young man is beside himself. He cannot figure out why he can't cut the same amount of wood as the old man. I mean, surely I should be able to beat that old man. So he caught him on his lunch break, and he walked up, and he said, Can I just share with you my frustration at not being able to cut as much wood as you i've worked all week what is your secret what do you how do you do that i've worked i've worked i know i've worked harder than you this week why have i not cut more wood than you and the old man looked back at him and he said have you sharpened your saw this week see you can knock yourself out but if you don't sharpen the saw you're not cutting any wood Rest is sharpening the saw. 
And we get to this place where we think, well, I can't afford to do that. You can't afford not to do it. You can't, listen, what's eventually going to happen, you, you, you can have so many irons in the fire that you put the fire out, right? Limit my labor. Ecclesiastes 10, only someone too stupid to find his way home. I love the way the Bible says that. Would wear himself out with work. What did God have to say about it? In Exodus 20, he says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is to be a day of rest dedicated to me. God said, one day a week, I want you to take it, and I don't want you doing anything. Sharpen your saw. Now, you may recognize that as the fourth commandment. That's one of the big ten. God puts that up there with do not commit adultery and do not commit murder, okay? It's in the big ten. That's how seriously God takes this. Every seventh day, you take a day off. The Bible calls it Sabbath. What the Sabbath means is is a day of rest. That's what Sabbath means, a day of rest. Mark 2 says this, the Sabbath was made to benefit man. So what should you do on your Sabbath? day it's probably better answered by telling you what not to do don't use your sabbath to catch up on work that's gotten away from you that isn't a sabbath what do you do on a sabbath i want you to do three things number one rest my body have you figured out that if you don't take time to rest your body your body will figure out how to get rest on its own and it's usually not good when that happens it usually involves a hospital or a doctor If you do not figure this out, your body will say, I've had it. I'm not doing this anymore, or you're going to have a mental breakdown, and everybody's going to wonder, what happened? And they're going to say, well, she just snapped one day. You know, she just, one day she just finally snapped, and we, we couldn't believe it when we saw everything that she did. If you do not figure out how to take rest, your body will take it on its own. You'll end up in the hospital, you'll end up with the cold or a flu that you can't get rid of and what people that struggle with this typically do is they get sick they're down just long enough to get their their wind back a little bit then they try to go back too soon and then they're sick for three four five weeks coughing wheezing everybody nobody wants to be around you but man you're working our best requires rest did you know that during the french revolution they outlawed sunday as a day of rest And within a few years, they had to reinstate it, not because of religious reasons, but because the health of the nation had collapsed. They were all burned out. There wasn't anything getting done. Nobody was able to work anymore. Your body needs to rest. Brett, I feel guilty when I relax. Exactly, that's why this sermon. Jesus didn't feel guilty. Jesus rested. Jesus took time off. Let me ask you this. Are you busier than Jesus? Are you more important than Jesus? Well, Jesus, I don't have time to take a break. No, Jesus would say, look, I'm running the world, okay? I'm taking a break. I'm saving your soul. I got time to go off for a little bit and pray and relax and and refresh. You you read the Bible, Jesus was constantly withdrawing from people, getting away, making time for, for him. Number two, recharge my emotions. Now, Now, we're all different. I don't know what recharges you. It probably wouldn't be the same thing that recharges me. For some people, they like gardening, they like mowing, they like working in their flowers. That is work to me, okay? Come help me put out this mulch. Okay, I'll do that. I'll help you do that, but that's not relaxing to me. I like to sit and read a book. I like to play ball. You might see those things. You might think about reading a book. Man, i got to focus and think, and what's that word mean? And 
That's just too much, Brett, that's too much work for me. Okay, so reading a book, maybe not, not your thing. Figure out what's your thing. I know this, you need some peace and quiet. You need some recreation. You need something that's going to get your heart rate up a little bit. You need something to make your blood pump, let you know you're alive, breathe hard a little bit. Something that you genuinely enjoy doing. What is it that you would like to do that you think, man, I'd like to do that, I just don't, I just don't have the time to do it. Make the time to do that thing. That may, be a, that may be the best gift you could give to yourself this Christmas. Is, you know what, I'm going to start doing that again. I used to like doing that, and I've just quit. You need time for relationships? In fact, I would tell you, you were made for relationships. That's why you were made. You weren't made to work a lot. You were made for relationships. How are you? This is how I feel. How does that, you know, let's talk about this, that, or the other. Number three, you need to focus your spirit. You need to refocus your spirit. You know what the Bible calls that? Worship. It's worship. Worship helps us to put things in perspective. It is amazing to me, more than once, I've gone into worship with something that I thought was a big problem. You know, like, God, how in the world are you going to work this out? I don't, this is huge. I, I, I can't, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm cutting on this thing. I can't seem to cut it down. I mean, God, what is it? And then I, I'll just worship. And it is amazing as I begin to exalt God and make him the big thing in my life. And understand this, God is bigger than anything going on in your world. God is bigger than any problem you've got. The problem is perspective. You probably got your mind on that problem and your, your mind is not on God. When you begin to really focus your attention on God and you see how big he is, you begin to understand he's bigger than any problem you've got. He can handle it. He's going to take care of it with you. You need time alone with God. Once a week is not enough. You need it every day. Brett, I'm just too busy for that. Okay, let me say this. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Brett, I just don't have time. No, that's not, that, that answer doesn't fly. You've got to find time to do that. You were made for fellowship with God, and you should not be missing out on that. If you are, I'm just telling you, things are not going to go well for you. So to do all the things we've talked about this morning, we're going to come down to the end. We've we got R-E-L. We're going to give you the A and the X. The A comes first. Adjust my values, which means in order to reduce the busyness in my life, I'm probably going to have to change my thinking about what is really important. Ecclesiastes 4. I've learned why people work so hard to succeed. It is because they envy the things their neighbors have. A part of this is adjusting what is important to us and deciding I'm not going to get caught up in this idea. I'm not going to compete with my neighbors. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to compete with the people that I work with. I'm not going to do it. We are so competitive. And in some regard, that's necessary. I understand that. You go into a workplace, there's some competition there. I get that. But we can take that to extremes, and we can apply competition in places where it just isn't healthy for us. We're always trying to outdo our brother or our dad or a sister or our best friend. We're always trying to get more. There are some things that are more important than getting more. Jesus said this, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Here's the question we need to be asking about how much time we're spending where we're spending it, okay? This is the question, and I want you to just say this in your head, and I want you to Contemplate the answer this week. Is it worth it? 
Is it worth it? What I'm doing, as fast as I'm going, as hard as I'm working, as much stress as I feel, is it worth it? Is it really giving me the return that I really want? I mean, did, have I been sucked into some thing that's making me crazy? You might be making great money right now. My question is, how are you and your kids doing? Trust me when I tell you this. Take it from a man whose kids have grown up on him in a hurry. It happens like that. One minute you're driving them to dance class and they got their little dance slippers and you're watching them go into the room, flitting into the, you know, go see Miss Tammy dance. And the next thing you know, they're talking about moving to Atlanta. When did that happen? It happens before you know it. Here's another question for you. Will you regret anything? If you think the, question, the answer to that question may be yes, you need to make some changes. And then finally we come to X. Now let me just ask you, how many of you think that I'm going to finish this sermon with something regarding X-ray, right? You've already looked ahead, you're like, oh, he's going to use X-ray. What can he possibly use? Well, I cheated a little bit. Exchange my pressure for God's peace. Exchange my pressure for God's peace. This gets to the root of our stress because there are three kinds of fatigue. There are three things that we, ways we get fatigued. Physical fatigue, our muscles get tired. Emotional fatigue, where our feelings get tired. And then there's a spiritual fatigue where our spirit gets tired. And it's when your spirit gets tired, that's the deepest because that's, that's when we need to refresh a dry spirit. And I see it sometimes coming in when I talk to you I can just get a sense your spirit is dried up. You're not connected to God like you used to be connected to God. You've gotten busy. Things have happened. Something's stress has caused you to kind of disengage, and you're, you know, you're going through the motions, and God love you. You came to church, and you're trying, and I appreciate that, but just a, you know, a cursory look tells you, oh, man, spiritually, I think they may be checked out a little bit. It's because you're, you're worn out. You know, you hear this saying, man, I need a vacation. Listen, you can go to the Bahamas, have a great vacation, see all kinds of things, water's blue, see the porpoises, that's awesome. But if you don't refresh your spirit and if you don't refresh your emotions, you're going to come back off that vacation and need another vacation. How many times have you ever said, I need a vacation after my vacation, right? That's not a vacation. You did it wrong. If you're not refreshing all those, your, your physical fatigue, your emotional fatigue, your spiritual fatigue, you did it wrong. Have you ever noticed little kids hate taking a nap? You ever notice that? They fight it. Come on, it's time for a nap. No! You want to you entertain yourself, do something fun, go out on YouTube and type in kids trying to stay awake. It's hilarious. These little kids in their high chairs, you know, trying to eat supper and they're tired and they didn't get a nap that day and they're kind of out on their feet and their eyes closed and then they, the head bob. It's hilarious. Some of them are hilarious. You should just do yourself a favor. Take a few minutes and just rest and watch that. It, 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 here's the thing. Resistance to rest is a mark of immaturity. See, your refusal to rest not only says you're breaking one of the commandments, it's also saying I'm immature. I'm like a little kid that doesn't want to take a nap. I resist rest. Did you know that sheep don't like to rest? That's why it says in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down. Sheep don't like to rest either. Has God ever had to make you lie down? 
I've seen people who refused to slow down on their own, and God just decided, you know what, I'm going to put them on their back for a while. Yeah, that's never fun. People get scared, stuff going on in their body, like, man, where did this get? came out of nowhere. No, it didn't come out of nowhere. God said, God is making you take a break, dude. What you need is a relationship with Christ. I want to, uh, I'm going to close in just a minute. I'm going to read this, this poem, and then I'm going to read two passages of Scripture, and we're going to be done. This is a paraphrase of the 23rd Psalm by a guy named Toki Miyashina. He's a Japanese poet. Listen to this. The Lord is my pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest for quiet intervals. He provides me with images of stillness which restore my serenity. He leads me in ways of efficiency through calmness of mind and his guidance is peace. Even though I have a great many things to accomplish each day, I will not fret for his presence is here. His timelessness, his all importance will keep me in balance. He prepares refreshment and renewal in the midst of my activity by anointing my head with oils of tranquility. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness shall be the fruit of my hours, for I shall walk in the pace of my Lord and dwell in his house forever. You know what you need? You need a pace setter. Not too fast, not too slow, and the only person wise enough to do that for you is Jesus. He knows you better than anybody. And you need to, today, you need to invite him in to set the pace for you. You need a relationship with him where you exchange your pressure for his peace. Now let me read this passage to you. I'm going to read it to you in the NCV, and then I'm going to turn around and read it to you in the message because it's beautiful in the message. Come to me. I love this passage. Come to me, all you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. The load I give you to carry is light. Jesus says, come to me. I'm not going to load you up with a bunch more stuff. I'm probably going to take some stuff off your plate. I'm probably going to help you say no to some things. I'm going to help you find some margin in this area of, of time and time management and rest. Now, this is the way the message writes this, and I'll, I'll read this to you, and then we'll pray. This is beautiful. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Man, I love that. I tell people all the time, if following Jesus stresses you out, you're doing it wrong. It should not stress you out. Your time with Jesus should be leading you to places where you lie down in green pastures by still waters. And if, there, if you're not doing that, and if you find yourself at this breakneck speed, you've got to start asking yourself, what is wrong? Jesus, help me figure this out, because that is not of God. God is about rest. God is about replenishing. God is about sharpening the saw. Let's pray. Father, we live in America and we get seduced into this. We just we look up and we've been sucked into this world where it's just go, 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 compete, get more, and we swallow it hook, line, and sinker, and the next thing you know, we, we, we've given up our life. I pray, Lord, that this sermon might be a, a wake-up call for some people who are working way too much 
And, and it might not even be so much about work as it is just about time management. Father, would you just help us to manage our time better? Would you show it to us? Let us see the people that are suffering, the people that we're not connecting to, the things that we could be doing for you that we're not doing because we're, we're preoccupied with something else. Father, you know us best. You know how to lead us into Sabbath rest, and I pray, Lord, that we would know that this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.